Hello, waffle lovers, and welcome to another episode of Whatever Flips Your Waffle here on 365sportscast.com. I'm your host, Mark Domeyer, coming to you as always from the bunker deep in the heart of southern Minnesota. The Vikings laid an egg this week. The Twins laid a bigger egg this week. Uh, At least we have the Golden Gophers to talk some positivity about as we move through the show this week. I'm glad you've decided to tune in, decided to listen to some talk about Minnesota sports. Welcome to those of you who tune in each and every week, and welcome to those of you who might be checking things out for the first time. We welcome you to come back every Wednesday at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, here on 365sportscast.com. Sit back, relax, prepare yourself for another helping of waffles, syrup optional. we got a lot to talk about again this week. We're going to start right now with our new weekly segment, Wisdom with Wyatt. Wyatt Grosskreitz back with us on Whatever Flips Your Waffle as we have our weekly segment, Wisdom with Wyatt. And Wyatt, for as as ecstatic as we were last week after the Vikings' big win over the Packers, I would say week two was deflating. I mean, the opposite of what week one was. Very. I mean, every stage of the game looked just so underwhelming. They looked way worse than they did last week. They looked unprepared almost. And I get it, Philadelphia is a tough place to play, and I'm not mad that they lost. I'm mad at the way they lost. Like, they lost in a way that was just so bad. They All three phases of the game were not well and not ready to go. Right. You know, I got a, I got a message this morning from Rick Verbanis, who was on the show last week. From, he's a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and we, he and I previewed the game, and we both agreed we thought it would be a close game. You know, it could go either way. But it was very clear from the outset that – this was going to be Philadelphia's night. And he had these, these moments where he thought, okay, now the Vikings are they're going to get back into it. You know, they drive down, score touchdowns, so on. But to me, a couple things stood out. One, drop passes. In the NFL, you can't do that. Yeah, there was so many drops last night, so many things that just – if there was something that could go wrong, it did last <laughs> yeah. night. Everything went wrong you started the game with three straight three and outs and then you got a touchdown drive and then after that nothing could get going offensively and and when you had opportunities for example the blocked field goal return it down your great scoring position and one of three interceptions in the night for Kirk Cousins maybe it's a good thing that so many things went wrong at once and it was not just a I don't know. Maybe that's not a good thing either. It's <laughs> hard hard to sit here and, and dissect this without just feeling like, oh, my gosh, what? I, I still don't know what happened. I do think Kevin O'Connell realized that coaching in the NFL is a very different experience than being an assistant coach. Yeah, I mean, we've heard it all week. We Everyone kind of was high on the Vikings, and there were those people out there talking, well, it's – Let's pump the brakes a little bit because Philly is a tough team. The mm-hmm. Packers never show up in week one. And, well, right now I don't know what to think because they played so well in week one and terrible last night. Yeah. And it's well, you know, and you look at week one, you have the entire offseason to prepare. Like you are, work, you are putting together a Green Bay game plan for a very long time. Now you turn around and you have one week to get ready. Not that you weren't thinking a little bit of Philadelphia – but a couple other things. One thing that stuck out to me, Ed Ingram really struggled. And, and you know, rookie on the offensive line, he really, really had some difficult times last night. Yeah, Ed Ingram has not looked good through two weeks. And I'm not going to sound the alarm any anytime soon yet because, first off, he is a rookie. Second off, 
you've went up against two of the best interior linemen in the NFL and Kenny Clark and Fletcher Cox. And three, he was in Philadelphia last night. <laughs> so, no, I'm not ready to give up on him, but there is room for improvement when it comes to Eddie right. right now. I have to admit I was a little bit shocked when he got the starting job coming out. I thought maybe somebody, as bad as the offensive line has been, was he ready for this, you know, when you face these these teams week in and week out? And they are going to, uh, you know, if you're game planning for the Vikings defensively, you are figuring out how can we go at Ed Ingram, Garrett Bradbury, how can we go at these weak links? You know, they're they're not going at O'Neal. They're not, you know, they're not going at those guys. They're they're forming their their paths to the quarterback that way. Yeah, and it, they're going to continue to do that until they find ways to improve it or help Ingram and Bradbury get more double teams. Right. Or those two just get better. And that's those are weak links. You like until we figure out how to fix that, defenses are going to exploit it. Right. And it wasn't just, you know, the pressure that's allowed on them, but everybody mm-hmm. expected uh um, Delvin Cook to have a big game based on how well Detroit ran on them. That wasn't a big game. And, and you know, it's not like they just completely went away from the run when they fell behind because they still did that. But um, the, the blocking up front as well as not opening holes uh, for him. Uh, you know, it sure seemed like they were trying to force the ball to Justin Jefferson. And you can't do it because, unlike the Packers, the Eagles decided, well, we're going to put a really good cover guy on Jefferson and Darius Slay. And forcing the ball to him, he's a great player, but Slay won a jump ball and just covered him really well overall when he was lined up man-to-man on him. Yeah, and defenses, I guarantee you, are going to watch the film from last night and say, well, that's how you beat the Vikings on offense right there because if you take out 18, they're a lot, lot slower on offense. And maybe that's what O'Connell needs to realize is defenses are going to start looking at 18 as one of the best receivers in the NFL and say – I have Adam Thielen, I have Irv Smith, I have Dalvin Cook. Let's try and not force it. Let's just use everybody because right. Adam Thielen was targeted twice last night. Yeah, not till the fourth quarter. Yeah, you can't have that happen. No. Adam Thielen is a good, good receiver. Irv Smith, when healthy, can be a good tight end. I'm assuming we'll talk about him yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And then you got Dalvin, who needs to be featured more in the passing yeah. game too. Well, and see, I just think that, you know, because Jefferson has come out and said he thinks he can get 2,000 passing yards. And was pretty upset last year when they didn't, you know, kind of try to feed him at the end and had a chance to set some records and whatever. But um, then you feel a little bit of pressure. Well, no, you have to win ball games first, and that stuff just sort of, sort of um, puts it there. Well, let's talk about Irv Smith since you brought him up too. You know, he catches the touchdown, the lone touchdown, but the drop pass on what was likely going to be a touchdown at a point where the game is not out of hand yet. Um, I think the Vikings were down 10 at the time, maybe. Uh, I, I just I worry about the injury if that's just... Because there were other ones where you know, they're trying to get the ball to him, and he's not winning. And Irv Smith used to win in those situations. He just... It looks like the thumb is still bothering him, and I don't think it's fully healed yet. And that's... I mean, it's not surprising to say he had surgery on it, so it's going to take a, little week, a couple weeks before he's finally, hopefully, back to what he used to be. And... That drop pass can't happen oh, in the game. No. That That is something that switched the entire – like, I can guarantee you, when I saw him drop that pass, I knew, like, oh, that's that's the dagger because all the energy was gone. Right. Everything we had for momentum was gone. It was a great throw, and he dropped it. Yeah. You know, and when you look on the defensive side, I, 
I'm not a great defensive mind in how you put these schemes together, but that shell they kept talking about, the shell defense, and we saw it in week one a little bit with the Packers where it's the bend but don't break. Bend but don't break. Well, it broke last night. I mean, you have the 53-yard bomb for a touchdown um, from Jalen Hurts, but it seemed like I was worried about Hurts going in. How are, how are you going to contain him? And the Vikings had no answer. They, they had some series where they looked really good defensively. You know, like Cam Dantzler makes a couple of great tackles and then has a terrible penalty to offset that completely. But you can't just sit here and say, we're going we're gonna to give you five yards. You have to be able to stop plays. I did not like the idea of going to shell defense against the Philadelphia Eagles. First off, they put up 38 points in week one. <laughs> Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. And it's not the defense that wins games. Like, that's basically running a shell defense is not putting confidence in your defense. And it's saying, we're going to have to go out and just outscore everybody, which is not going to happen on a weekly basis. I'm sorry. Even if you are Patrick Mahomes, you're not going to put up 50 every week. Yeah. The shell defense, I get the idea of it. But if you're not executing it well, which you should be every time, and they weren't, you just you need to find ways to beat teams. And the worst part was, is at halftime, obviously it was not working, and there were no adjustments made. They just kept trotting it out there and kept using it. Right. And, you know, guys look confused out there. Who am I covering? Who am I supposed to, you know, be on, on the long touchdown? There was nobody around. You and I could have been running down the field and caught it for a touchdown. Uh, Patrick Peterson, with the exception of blocking the field goal, which is always a great play, but... He looks slow these two weeks. I mean, he looks like his age is kind of there right now. But what are your other options? Until Lewis Seen, you know, is ready. Andrew Booth is hurt. I don't know. I didn't even see Seen last night. He's supposed. He only played on a special teams last night because oh. he had been um, hurt the week before, and they're still trying to kind of break him in. But you know, with, with somebody like him, all through training camp, we heard these great things. He was he was playing well, and he was. He was reading things really well. Well, then why isn't he? You know, it, it can't be worse than what I'm seeing out of Patrick Peterson right now. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of holes on that defense right now, especially with corner. I mean, Pat P, he did look slow. But, yeah. but a lot of the defense looked slow last right. night. It just didn't look good. They didn't look prepared. And they kind of look old. <laughs> well, and you know, the thing that gets me, so Jalen Hurts, a lot of credit to him. I mean, he played a great game. He looks like the real deal. Um, as I was, when I was responding to Rick Verbonis, I talked about what he, he looked like Kyler Murray did at times on Sunday too, with it, just that, that elusiveness. But he's so good at that read option of the camera went the wrong way one time. They thought somebody else had it. And multiple times I'm looking and going, oh, wait, he doesn't have the ball. You know, this guy has the ball instead. He, he, he puts the ball right in the breadbasket and doesn't take it away until he absolutely has to. That's impressive. That's good coaching, too, by Nick Sirianni. Good coaching. and They have a good coach in Philadelphia. I like Nick Sirianni. I like Jalen Hurts. I like the Eagles. They have a good yeah. team. They've done a good job of building that team. And I think after last last night was a statement win for them. They are going yes. to be a tough team this year to beat, yeah. especially in Philadelphia. Right. And, you know, even like A.J. Brown was not featured last night, and he's their, their best wide receiver. Miles Sanders had a nice game. But to me, it's all about Jalen Hurts, and if you can figure out a way. But you have to have a spy on a guy like that. I mean, when you have a running quarterback, you have to have somebody who's, got to, who's spying him. And there were times he's, he's just doing whatever he wants to do. And even those intermediate pass routes, there's nobody within five yards of these guys. 
it's, to me, and I'm a basketball guy much more so, I understand basketball. This looks like a really bad zone defense in basketball where you're saying, well, if you hit the three-pointers, you can beat us, and we're just going to let you shoot those. And that's what the Vikings did last night. We're just going to let you shoot from wherever you want to and, and hope you don't make it. It was a truly a dink and dunk offense for the Eagles for a majority of that game. Take what the defense gives you, but we gave up way too much. Yeah, you can't give up those chunks all the time. You know, they start off with an 82-yard drive for a touchdown. Okay, that that can happen. But they, they continue to sustain drives throughout the game, and, and it, it, is, it is really frustrating to see that. Here's something else I, I remember this offensively I wanted to ask you about. And I thought this was maybe just during the Mike Zimmer reign, but I saw this last night again. These little screen passes where Cousins seems to try to get rid of the ball so soon, and the whether it's Madison, Cook, whatever, is enmeshed in this huge scrum at the line of scrimmage, and he still just throws it in there. You're better off to drop that pass. To me, a screen is I catch it with some real estate in front of me. Kirk, yeah, he does that a lot. When you run a screen play, and there were times, I think, when they ran screen plays last night, it was the wrong situation in yeah. general to run them. Yeah. But when they run them, he does get ball of, get rid of the ball too fast. But, I mean, last night he just looked awful yeah. in every phase. I don't like dumping on Kirk, but, I mean, the old saying – Primetime Kirk yeah, was yeah, last night. Yeah. No, I just look at that. You know, like a, on a screenplay, you're you're chipping the defensive guy at the line of scrimmage, but basically let him get by you. So they're coming up field, and then you throw it. But maybe we're not getting the chip on him. That's why he's going to get it off so early. I I don't know. It kind of looked like a combination because it looked like they were reading it well too. Because a linebacker would be there, okay. and he would read the screen, get up, and get in the running back's face, and make it a tough throw to begin yeah. with. But Kirk's also got to be able to see that and either just spike it into the ground because if you screw up on that, that's a pick six. Right. Yeah. Fumble or you lose, you lose a yard, whatever. Yeah. Um, when we we don't want to sound the alarm bell yet. It was just disturbing to watch that last night. They're one and one. So is every other team in the NFC North. And now the Detroit Lions come to town in week three, fresh off. A very good win on their behalf, and they face it—they were with the Eagles in Week One, and that was a home game, of course, and that always gives you an advantage. Uh, I, I want to give our Vikings the advantage: come back home, beat the Lions. But again, I don't think it's going to be easy. This is one of those games where you look at it and say, oh, "We should win," but a lot of people are overlooking Detroit right now, and oh. I, they are dangerous. Yeah. They are a good offense. They have a great offensive line. They got a really good running back. I'm nervous for when they get Jamison Williams back. Right. They have the ability to be a good team. And when they get a franchise quarterback in there, and Goff has looked like it for some reason, when they get the like when they get a quarterback, they're going to be a good team. And no, it's not going to be an easy win next week. No. But it's a win you have to get if right. you want to be competitive. And you don't want to forget about Aiden Hutchinson on the D line, who had a tremendous game on Sunday for them. Uh, blowing up the offense of the opponent. That'll be a big matchup. It'll be O'Neill versus Hutchinson. and That's going to be one of the things that determines the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have the Vikings winning. I think they're going to come home. They're going to they're going to take care of business. Um, but, again, I think the, the the Lions are on the right path and, and are going to surprise a lot of people this year. I think they're going to be in this all the way through um, and, and even possibly contend for a playoff spot. I think the, some of the pieces are in place, like you say, 
and uh, and they can do some nice things. I mean, heck, they won Sunday without DJ Chark catching a pass even, and they still put up a lot of points. And so I guess we'll see. We'll find out next week. We'll sit down and, and debrief again. Always good to have Wyatt Grosskreitz with us. Wisdom with Wyatt once again. My next guest is part of what I hope will be a weekly tradition here where we talk to somebody from the opposing team for the Vikings for the upcoming week. I found Andrew Ziegler. Uh, I followed him on, on Twitter for some time and discovered he's a Detroit Lions fan. And so we're going to talk Lions, but he's also a Twins fan. We're going to talk Twins. If you are listening right now and you say, hey, I'm a fan of fill-in-the-blank team that the Minnesota Vikings are going to play this year, no matter when it might be down the line, I invite you to uh, get a hold of me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or you can message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Always looking for some good guests to talk, give a little preview of who the Vikings will play this week. So New Orleans Saints, Chicago Bears, and on down the line, uh, teams that they're going to play, I'd love to talk to you. Get a hold of me. Uh, Let's talk to Andrew right now. Joining the program this week on our hopefully weekly segment on finding somebody who's a fan of the Vikings opponent this week, uh, Andrew Ziegler has joined us. He lives in Minnesota. He's a teacher here in Minnesota. He's also a Twins fan. We'll get to the Twins later. But he is a Detroit Lions fan as well. He wants to restore the roar. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it. I, I searched through... Uh, Twitter, find, trying to find people, and and I followed Andrew on Twitter for for a while. Um, it's an interesting Twitter handle you have of uh, of is it TC Pine Trees, uh, Target Field Pine Trees, something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's uh, the, the the Target Field Pine Trees at uh, Polo underscore Grounds One. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's just a fun sports Twitter account. So. Just any particular reason that you chose that? It, I mean, it sticks out. That's for sure. Yeah, no, I was kind of looking for something that kind of sticks out a little bit. I was kind of humorous in a way, and uh, big Twins fan too, and uh, thought it was a funny original name. So yeah, so maybe you're kind of like me. You'd like to see those trees back out there in center field. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I think ever since those trees have have been taken out, uh, you know, Twins have had some pretty rough years. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Maybe that would be the luck that they they need to get back. So. Yeah, it's not quite the Babe Ruth curse of the Boston Red Sox, but uh, you know it, it could grow there. So, uh, exactly. yeah, we'll and we'll get to the Twins and and kind of their downfall a little bit later. But uh, we're here first and foremost to talk about the Detroit Lions, the resurgent Detroit Lions, maybe who were a sniff away from being two and zero. You know, what were your feelings going into the season as a Lions fan? What were your expectations? Yeah, well, I think uh, you know. Being a Lions fan, there's there's never really never really any high expectations. But uh, the new the new resume that, that we got in with uh, with with Brad Holmes and uh, Dan Campbell uh, was kind of you know brought a little life back to you know the city of Detroit and being you know uh, excited about the year. So I think that uh, you know really young squad and you know a fun coach with with Dan Campbell and and a bunch of fun players they got coming in. So I mean. Not too much expectation, but you know, definitely trying to take that next step and you know maybe compete for a, a wild card here, and then you'll see what happens. And uh, but yeah, but just kind of excited about the the new era here with uh, with 
Dan Campbell. So yeah, and and listeners on your have heard me rave a little bit. I'm a Dan Campbell fan. I think what he has brought to this organization, even last year, you know they they were in a lot of ball games that they lost. You know the fluke field goal by Baltimore. They should have beat the Vikings twice. Um, and I think that's a lot on the coaching staff. I think he has the players buying in, and he's got their backs, and um, and he's pretty genuine with them too. Hundred percent, yeah. Um, like every game, like you said, they're 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 in it to the end. You know, we were down uh, seventeen twice against the Eagles in Week One, and have brought it back to three. So yeah, like you said, just kind of that culture that that they're instilling with uh, with like the just grittiness of, of the team is kind of you know something that fans are recognizing and they're getting excited about so what uh, in their victory this past week what impressed you most what really stood out in that game in the lions victory yeah i think uh well we've been pretty banged up at the offensive line uh we had Ragnow, frank Ragnow was out john jackson was out and uh uh the tie uh big d was out too so uh the way that we kind of played without you know those guys and kind of uh, you know the emergence of Amon Ross St. Brown has been has been just awesome, and how he's turned into a star. And uh, and then DeAndre Swift too. I mean, just the playmaking abilities that he's got too. But uh, yeah, I guess it's just kind of the way the these backup offensive linemen have stepped up, and um, you know, even without our, our main big three starters, you know, showing the potential that this offense can have. So right, and I'm a big Amon Ross St. Brown fan for two reasons. One, as an English teacher. You know, Ra being the sun god in Egyptian mythology, of course, I love that idea. But um, he also helped get my team to our fantasy football championship last year. Uh, you know, and he just he came on, and he started this year right where he left off last year. You know, he, he's done some amazing things when people had a whole offseason to game plan for him. Exactly. No, yeah. He, uh, actually, last game, he, uh, he tied the record for... Uh, He's got eight straight games with uh, eight-plus catches, and uh, so he'll have a chance to set the NFL record on uh, on Sunday against the Vikings for that. So I think he was tying uh, Antonio Brown and uh, uh, Michael Thomas, I think, was the other one. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's just, he's he's come just, started last season. He didn't start off too hot last year. But, right. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was something in week one where he and his brother Equimenius St. Brown both caught touchdowns within a couple of minutes of each other too, um, yeah. and that was kind of a cool thing. Uh, Jared Goff, kind of the the cast off of the Los Angeles Rams. They really wanted Matthew Stafford. It was the right move for them. Stafford leads them to a Super Bowl win, and everybody's kind of well. Jared Goff is, I, I don't know, the redheaded stepchild or something. And but he's got ability. He's got numbers. You know, he threw four touchdowns last week. Uh, this is a guy who's he's been to a Super Bowl. He's not lacking in talent. Yeah, no, uh, he's 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 showing good signs, and uh, you know he's not going to be like a, you know Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen type of player. But you know, like you said, he he, he does good things. You know, he he does also things that you know you should shake your head. But right. uh, at the same time, he's. He's not. He can someone. He's, he is someone who can win us games, and uh, you know he's he's kind of taken this opportunity and kind of been excited about actually playing in Detroit. And I think he's you know uh, appreciative of you know the Detroit fan base and and kind of the difference and and culture that that was out in LA. So yeah, no, I think uh, you know he's he's taken it this trade well, and you know he's he's trying to really 
carry the team uh, the best you can. But uh, yeah, I think for for the time being, he's he's a decent quarterback for us based off where we're at. So yeah, and really a key stat from last Sunday's game for the Lions: zero turnovers. You don't throw an interception. Don't fumble the ball. That goes a long way to winning ball games. For sure, yeah. And yeah. Uh, like you said, even with like the offensive line and, and how banged up we are, and then the way that you played last week was was impressive. So right. If there's a if there's a flaw, and of course there are flaws to every team in the NFL, but the Lions' defense has to be a little suspect. I mean, uh, well, the Vikings got torched by the, the Eagles on Monday night too, but you know Detroit jumped out to a big lead on Sunday against Washington, and then here come the Commanders kind of frittering away. Is this just a, a growing and developing defense for the Lions that they're going to have their, their bumps in the road, but there's some signs. I mean, if you shut out an NFL team for a half, there's something there. 100%, yeah. And it's a super young defense. And, you know, going back just as classic Lions, as Lions fans like to say, you know, blowing a, a big lead is, is nothing <laughs> that's, that's too unexpected. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a young defense. And uh, it's still lacking depth right now and uh there's a couple of banged up players right now with injuries but no it's uh it's got a lot of potential i mean two of our our, our top defenders right now are, are rookies and, and hutchinson and uh rodriguez rodriguez so uh yeah no it's uh it's exciting the pieces they're, they're getting and uh you know it's super young so they're they'll have some growing pains but uh yeah no hutchinson and uh rodriguez are two guys who are like just if you get excited about anything, it's, it's probably those two guys on defense. So. Yeah, well, Hutchinson alone on Sunday, three sacks. You know, he he was blowing up plays. Um, he had a couple other tackles for loss, I think. And it'll be really interesting to see him uh, next Sunday against the Vikings. He'll probably line up across from O'Neal, who's, who's likely the Vikings' best offensive lineman. And it'll be a real test back and forth to see if this young rookie can do something there, too. Um, or if the Vikings can hold strong on the on the line. For sure, yeah. And Hutchinson's someone who just brings like crazy, crazy energy, like every play. Like if you you just are watching one guy on the play, I mean, he's going 120 percent like every play, which is which is crazy. So right. So when we look ahead and we look on on Sunday and we see, well, first of all, every team in the NFC North is one and one. Uh, you know, the Packers have to play Tampa Bay this week, and that's not an easy game for them. Vikings and Detroit, um, and then uh, I'm, I've lost track of who the Bears play. It, it's a winnable game for them, uh, somebody who's maybe not not great either. But division games always are that much more important, and it's hard to win on the road. But the Lions have a legitimate chance. I mean, what is it going to take for them to beat the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday? Sure. I mean, like you said, uh, we've we've had a decent amount of success actually in U.S. Bank Stadium with you know almost winning last year with a pretty uh, depleted squad, and then I think uh, when Stat we sold Stafford pulled off a, a overtime win in U.S. Bank. So right. yeah, like you said, it's definitely something that can be done. And I think uh, you know just playing a complete game. Uh, third quarters are are usually a is a quarter where we just kind of go down the drain. So just having that consistency on offense, I think. Uh, Goff's got to just kind of limit the uh, the big mistakes that he makes. You know, if you can have zero to you know one interceptions or, or, or turnovers, I think that would be huge. Uh, I think you know getting the ball in, in, in Swift's hands and Armand Ra's hands will be just a key as well too, as as those guys have kind of been the key to our success. But uh, and then on defense, kind of putting pressure on on, on Kirk. 
as we saw last night, you know, what, what pressure can do to him sometimes. And I think if we can keep that pressure on him with, uh, with Hutchinson and, and those guys up front, then, uh, you know, could create some issues. So. Right, and, and it has been the key. You know, Cousins had a lot of time in week one against Green Bay and um, uh, uh, not as much time against Philadelphia. So that's been difficult and, uh, and something to keep an eye on, certainly uh, moving ahead. When we look at the big picture, you know, of Vikings and Lions, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, can, can Goff go well, get Swift involved, um, Amon Ra, St. Brown, but do the Lions have the horses to stop the Vikings' premier players? Can they stop Delvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, you know, guys who are really, really proven in this league? Does the defense have what it takes, or is this going to have to be a shootout in order for the Lions to win? Yeah, good question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, based off of how we've played so far this year, I, I, I probably expect it to be more of a high-scoring game, and, and I think our offense can definitely keep up with uh, with the Vikings' offense in that matter. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the young players will probably uh, – uh, Jeff Okuda has been, been, been playing awesome this year for us, so he'll probably match up on uh, – Thielen or Jefferson, and, and then I think from, you know, stopping the run, I, I think that, you know, hopefully our guys up the middle uh, can can kind of limit Dalvin a little bit. And uh, But, yeah, I do expect it to be kind of a, a, a shootout in, in the way the game plays out. So so at the end of the day, your bold prediction, do the, do the Lions win or do the Vikings prevail at home? Well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta try and ride with my uh, with my squad here with the Lions. So, um, you know, I will say that uh, the Lions, you know, maybe an upset win on the road, uh, high scoring, like I said, uh, probably it'll go 34-31. Uh, okay. Lions try and pull it off. So. Okay, I've got the Vikings. I got thirty-eight, thirty-one Vikings. I too think it'll be high scoring, and uh, I guess we'll see. I'm uh, I'm one and one on my picks this year. Uh, I, I I don't know that I expected the Vikings to beat the Packers. I had hoped, um, but I didn't. I did not really think they were going to beat the Eagles on the road. Um, I do think they'll play better at home and win. And and I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I at the start of the season I said the Vikings will split with the Lions. I just I I, okay. I can't see any way that that um, that the Vikings beat the Lions twice or the Lions beat the Vikings twice. I think they split. Um, which basically I think the Vikings will do with everybody in the division. I, I think the Packers certainly aren't going to lose at home to them in January at Lambeau, and, and the Bears always put up a fight too no matter what. So um, we'll see. It's, it's exciting to be talking about Amphel, and uh, it, it's, it's good to talk to somebody who knows the Lions. You certainly know them uh, a lot better than, than I do. And um, we're going to switch gears now. So I've got Andrew Ziegler here. Uh, we, we talk Vikings and Lions, and now Andrew's also a Twins fan, a, a strange combination. Maybe you and the common man, Dan Cole, have a lot in common from K-Fan, um, since he's a Lions fan as well. But uh, our Minnesota Twins, stick a fork in them, they're done, right? There's just zero chance they come back here. Yeah, no, uh, definitely, definitely a weird combo with sports. Uh, Minnesota, basically everything except for NFL, just due to uh, my dad growing up in in Michigan and and being a Lions fan, always having that on TV. But uh, but yeah, no, unfortunately, I think uh, after this weekend series, it's kind of all done for the 2022 Twins, and uh, you know, kind of starting to look forward to to next year. Unfortunately, it just 
pretty pretty frustrating year overall and uh kind of leaving the season on a sour note is, is never fun so right and and at this point at least in my head i'm going can we finish 500 like that that to me is a a realistic goal to, to finish at that 500 or a little bit above mark and i think they can do that right i mean the kansas city royals they can beat the White Sox, the Angels, teams like that. They have a legit shot at that. For sure, yeah. And, I mean, it feels like uh, the Royals have been really, like, the only team we've been able to beat here in the last month. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I saw Sonny Gray actually just now just went on the injury list again now. So the, the, the injuries have been just frustrating all year. And, uh, you know, who knows at this point whether they'll be able to finish on 500. They should, um, based off the teams they're playing. But, um, you know, it will be interesting to see if you know some of the guys kind of tune out here, or maybe aren't playing as competitive as, as they would have if they were kind of in the race to the end. So, well, the reality is, when you look at everybody on the injured list, they have a team there. Like they have a legitimate team that's on the injured list, pitching wise, almost and and uh, position players, even counting Miguel Sano, which we don't really want to, but uh, it, there's enough guys there to field a team in the major leagues. It's that's been the difficulty this year, and at the same time, I look back and I keep trying to remind myself I didn't think the Twins were going to be in contention to win this, this division anyway. So it was a pleasant surprise, but like you say, disappointing because you know you're kind of there for much of the season. For sure, and and you know, getting getting Correa kind of kind of changed things. So all all of a sudden, it's like, oh wait, maybe maybe we can contend, and then. Um, you know, being in first for most of the whole first half, the entirety of the first half, really, and then making those acquisitions at the at the deadline, it seemed like we were going to be a team that could, uh, you know, make a run and, and win the division. But uh, fortunately, things have, like you said, have gone south, and uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see at the end of the year, kind of what happens with uh, Correa and and him coming <laughs> back as they prepare for next year. So. Well, and really, the Carlos Correa thing that doesn't just impact the twins that impacts a lot of major league baseball and and you know he's going to opt out i have no doubt and he may still sign with the twins but there are a lot of other teams that it's going to be a domino effect whenever correa makes his decision um and the timing of it with some of these other great free agent shortstops that'll be on the market will be really really interesting um because i don't think anybody's going to sign correa until some of the top shelf guys sign and they're going to say you're not as valuable as them because of the se- you didn't have this fantastic season. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, maybe that'll benefit the Twins, and hopefully it does. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that you know he'll get as much money as uh, as maybe he wants to or that he expected to uh, following the season. So you know, that is something that could benefit the Twins. And you know, it's he's been frustrating for not exactly living up to his uh, to his contract and, and, and the amount of money we're paying him, but at, at the same time, you know, I'd welcome him back with, with open arms for next oh, year yeah. if he decides to uh, opt back in. So Because really, with Royce Lewis hurt and not sure when he'll come back or what shape he'll be in, uh, our other options at shortstop are, are very limited because Correa, with the exception of the time period where he had you know, gotten hit in the hand and was out for a little while, he's been the most healthy position player for the Twins this year, I don't know who else you put in at shortstop on an everyday basis right now. Yeah, no, I, I don't really know either. I think, uh, you know, the way 
Palacios obviously isn't really a no. an, an every an everyday starter by by any means, but uh, and Gordon is, is is doesn't have the defensive caliber to to play a shortstop, and obviously we've seen Polanco red short and uh, him with having bad ankles and knees as of late. So so yeah, I mean if if Correa doesn't come back, you know, it's probably back to the free agent market of some sorts again, which would. Uh, probably not be the most ideal situation so. yeah because i don't think you shift geo or shallow over there they've got him for one more year for sure and, and plant miranda at third i don't think you'd do that i don't i don't know that urshela has the he's a good defender at third but i don't know if he could do it at short although i don't know you know they're going to take the shifts away next year and, and maybe things get played just a little bit more conventionally i don't know how do you feel about some of these like the, the getting rid of the shifts um, the pitch clock, the bigger bases. What are your thoughts about all that? How that's going to impact the game? It's interesting. Uh, I think that you know, getting rid of the shift is. Uh, I don't really know exactly how I feel about it yet. Just being a big baseball fan and and you know, a big strategy and you know how that's kind of taken away from everything now. Um, I think it's kind of you know weird, um, just in the fact that you know hitters. Here's, should have been able to hopefully adjust more to the shift. <laughs> right, right. And now bringing it back to hitters is kind of uh, frustrating, I'd say, and it's going to be a little weird. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then I think the pitch clock will actually be good. Uh, I've, I've seen it happen down at uh, CHS Field with the Saints, and I think I think pitchers will get used to that. And, uh, you know, I've heard some pitchers complain about, like, arm injuries and stuff like that with the pitch clock. But, yeah. Uh, I think overall that that will be pretty positive, and then the base. I think too. I don't know if it will really play too much of a difference. No, but, uh, I don't think yeah. the twins are going to run anymore because the bases are a little bit bigger. You know, exactly. It, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it might get rid of a few more of those really really close plays. Uh, they talk about safety there too. That's fine. You know, the pitch clock bit. I think what the pitchers that complain don't understand is, um, you know, you are selling an entertainment product out there and right now you're losing customers because they don't want to sit there for three hours they, they want a game done and uh, when you're losing customers that's gonna cost you money in the long run um, and for the people who come after you I just I don't and, and you're younger than I am I don't know I can sit at a baseball game for three hours for four hours I don't have a lot of problem with that uh, but I know the average person struggles with that and I certainly having taught and worked with the younger generation know that uh, the short attention spans pop in <laughs> awfully quickly, and and and, it, and having kids too, you don't want to be there. The kids aren't going to last for three hours at a baseball game either. So, um, I'm encouraged by that. I hope it'll I hope it'll be a good thing and and uh, move things along a little bit. And uh, maybe they won't sell quite as many concessions at the game, but uh, <laughs> maybe maybe they'll get some more people there. Uh, when we when we look ahead, there's some optimism for the Twins in the future. Uh, you know, if if healthy, um, if healthy, I had somebody mention last week on the show, if healthy, the Twins have four starting pitcher positions already filled for next year in Sonny Gray, uh, Tyler Molly, Joe Ryan, and Kenta Maeda. We always forget about Kenta. Um, that's, that's a pretty good starting four, and you can fill in the others. There's a lot of options in there. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited about that possibility again if they're all healthy. For sure, yeah. No, that like you said is uh, uh, it's got some veteran presence there with with uh, Mally and and Kenta, and then 
and Sonny. And then, you know, you got someone like Joe Ryan, who's, who's had a pretty solid year, I'd say, for, uh, for a rookie as, as a starter. And uh, then you throw in guys like, you know, Louis Varland and Simeon Woods and uh, some of those other young guys, Winder. And, and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's got the making of a pretty deep and pretty overall solid staff. So I think that's definitely one thing that uh, Twins fans can be excited about. Yeah, and you know, and even a Bailey Ober is there. Although I, I keep sure. wondering, you know, Ober is he ever going to develop where he can go? Right now, he he really struggles to get a whole lot of innings in, and I wonder if he'd fit more in the bullpen or if that's something kind of like um, Duran has done, where he can be very successful there because they have to address the bullpen. Uh, they, there's just it can't be that. That's what cost them the division this year is the lack of bullpen um, arms that could do the job every night. Yeah, uh, I think the bullpen. I mean, obviously with 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 Duran, I mean he's having he's having like a historic season, and then people are kind of forgetting that as a, as a rookie. I mean, think about rookie of the year voting. He should probably be in the in the top three just based off of the season that he's had. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think people expected uh, Lopez to be a little better, which is hopefully something we can turn around as we have him next year. And uh, I think Jack still has some potential too as a reliever. And yeah. uh, you know, Theobar has been okay, but it, it, we'll see how long he can last and with that success. But, uh, but yeah, overall, I mean, I think there's still some room that uh, this front office can definitely work towards to make sure that bullpen is a little more, uh, not only consistent, but a little bit more deep so they don't fall into situations where they're pulling up guys like Pagan every inning where... <laughs> You know, we all know that that's never going to be good. So no, no, and from the beginning on this show, we were calling it the Amelia Pagan experience. Uh, every time he came out, it was just bite your fingernails. You didn't know what was going to happen. But I, you know, in a conversation with somebody today, we hit upon the idea of just how big an impact Wes Johnson leaving in the middle of the season had on the Twins. I mean, that I don't think you can discount that because when he left. Things really started to fall apart in a hurry, and that says a lot to his ability as a pitching coach. And and maybe they need to really go out and find somebody who can fill that position in the off season. Yeah, I'd agree with that for sure. Um, I think that you know, not definitely, kind of unfair the the situation that that Pete Mackey got put into yep. as the new pitching coach. And uh, I, I definitely think that they need someone with a little more veteran presence that can uh, kind of control the pitching staff a little more and have a little more experience under their belts but uh yeah no yeah that was a very unfortunate thing that i mean it seems forever ago that that happened that's how long the season feels but uh yeah that was i mean probably one of the lows of the season is uh Les johnson leaving just based off of the success that he's had so right and i, I just i i think rocco will be back i don't think you fire rocco baldelli but i think he's got to look at his coaching staff um you have to find a third base coach who knows when to send guys home and when they're going to get thrown out by 10 or 15 feet. Uh, those kind of things. I mean, that's kind of important in, in, in the baseball game. And as an old baseball coach, I know um, I got my fair share of people thrown out at home too, but never by that much consistently. I, it's, just, it's frustrating. And I hope Rocco will look at that and understand that in the front office as well. Because in reality, if they don't make a run next year, do you maybe start to look at this isn't working right now? For sure. I think, uh, you know, next season is probably, it's probably make or break for, for Rocco and the, and the front office with the Felbeans. Uh, you know, it's, it's, they, the Felbeans came in here to, 
to revamp and have consistent pitching. And it's been the complete opposite of that. They were going to draft pitchers and develop pitchers like they do in, in Cleveland. And the way they haven't done that is, is it's been super disappointing. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the fan base is frustrated just based off of, you know, how long it's taken for them to find consistency. And, uh, you know, Rocco's had good teams and we've obviously won divisions with him. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's frustrating in the last two years here how, how you know, uncompetitive the team can be at times. So I, I, I think next year is uh, kind of make or break for, for, the, for the management here. Yeah, and I think it's a package deal. I think if, if Rocco goes... So is the front office other way around. I, they're all together. They're pretty linked that way. So um, I, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we'll see them play out the string here. And like I say, I'm hoping for 500 or a little bit above. Um, and and then we can kind of retool and reset for next year with, with some real competitive players coming back there. Uh, Andrew Ziegler, thanks for joining us. And uh, uh, certainly enjoy talking Twins and your Detroit Lions. And uh, I think they'll be in the mix all season long, and, and uh, hopefully we'll have a really entertaining game coming up this Sunday. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and uh, looking forward to the game this week. So uh, go Lions. Hopefully they can uh, pull off the upset. All right, we'll have to see. And now it's time for the State of Minnesota Sports. Left a little bit more time so we don't shortchange anybody this week. And we're going to start this week with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are in the news both for good and bad reasons this week as we start to near training camp and the NBA regular season. Uh, the good news is a signing, a P.J. Dozier signing with the Timberwolves. Not a big name, but let's look at it and say that the Timberwolves have the big names they need. They have the star players. It's about filling out that bench and filling out the roster with people who are going to be able to contribute, be able to help out, and just in case of an injury. Uh, Dozier comes from the Denver Nuggets, and so we continue to see Tim Conley in his role as president bringing in people that he's familiar with, that he's comfortable with. And it's hard to argue the Denver Nuggets have been um, a, a very good organization over the last number of years when he was there. So uh, a minor signing. But again, sometimes you look at that in the preseason and you say, well, this could, could pay dividends down the line. In negative news for the Timberwolves, though, uh, Anthony Edwards fined $40,000. You know, these anti-gay comments that he made, it was like a drive-by gay bashing or something, however you want to call that, on social media. It's just so unacceptable. It was 2022, and in addition to doing it in person anyway, but not only that, but filming yourself doing this and then posting it on social media where there are tens of thousands of people watching, following, keeping an eye on that sort of a thing. I don't quite understand the mindset of people these days. Uh, regardless of how you feel about a certain segment of the population, knowing that when you put things on social media, it doesn't matter how quickly you try to get rid of it. Somebody has seen it. Somebody has, has you know, taken a picture, recorded it, done whatever. You, you can't get away with things on social media anymore. And I don't know when that's going to sink into some of these people. I don't understand uh, if if there's a power trip going on or what the case might be. But Anthony Edwards should know better than that. He's supposed to be a leader on this Timberwolves team, and he has to know how many people are following him and and um, trying to keep track of what he does and what he says. and And that doesn't doesn't go very far. I'm I'm sure 
you know, forty thousand dollars to guys like this—that's a little bit of a drop in the bucket. Um, a part of me would like to see him suspended for some amount of games. I—you just can't do these sort of things, and you can't make that very public. You have to really mind your p's and q's, and it's just wrong. It's just wrong uh, to to go after people of the LBGTQ community. And I—I I, I don't know when when we're gonna get to the point where we just realize. Let's just leave it alone. Um, people are who they are, and and it's uh, a little bit time to to uh, get on from that. And and again, be smart about what you do. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's it's hard. It's it's frustrating to see that, and it's hard to watch. You know, people that kids look up to uh, doing things that are kind of foolish in that way. The Minnesota Gophers, as we mentioned at the outset, um, something to be positive and happy about in the state of Minnesota sports. They finished their non-conference schedule 3-0, and uh, dominating all three opponents as they should if you want to be a good team. However, Chris Ottman-Bell out for the season with a lower leg injury, and that just crushes this offense to a degree. We'll see. Maybe somebody steps up into that role. Uh they, they talk about applying for a seventh-year redshirt. My goodness, how long are these guys going to stay in college and <laughs> take legitimate classes? But uh, he, he's a talent. And one can hope that Tanner Morgan can continue to develop rapport with these other receivers because you're going to need to do that. As you get into the Big Ten schedule, people are going to game plan for Mo Ibrahim, and they might have the horses to do something about it, unlike the cream puffs that they played in the non-conference schedule. Yes, Colorado is part of a major conference, but they just are not very good at football. In fact, their athletic director apologized to their fans for how they looked against Minnesota. A test comes up right away this week at Michigan State, and Michigan State fell out of the top 25, You know, lost at Washington pretty badly. They're beat up right now. They're injured. They're hurt. But going to play at Michigan State, that's a hard spot to win in in East Lansing. If the Gophers can win there, you say, hey, the road is paved. There's only one team that they play on their schedule that currently is ranked in the top 25, and that's a road game at Penn State. We know that'll be a tough game as well. But the other part of this, and in conversations with people who are big Gopher fans, is can we avoid the typical Gopher trap game? Can we beat the teams we're supposed to? You know, Purdue comes to Minnesota a week after they go to Michigan State. Can you beat Purdue, who was kind of predicted to be a little bit better than they have been so far? Um, that, that's a game, a trap game. Can you go to Illinois and win this year? That's a trap game. You know, Rutgers is 3-0 and right now. That's probably more of a mirage than anything. Uh, Nebraska is terrible this year, but that's a trap game. You know, those kind of things. Can, if you really, really want to be good and, and take in... Um, you know, taken as a legitimate contender in the Big Ten West, you don't lose those games, right? You might lose at Penn State. You might lose at Michigan State against what are really quality teams. But you want to get to the part of that schedule, as we talked about with Tony Liebert a few weeks ago, where the Iowa and the Wisconsin games, if they're going to matter, um, you feel confident that you can take care of things there. And, And they're going to matter. You know, they're not off to a great start, and, and Iowa especially has been really struggling. But they're going to matter, and you just you can't trip over games that you're supposed to win. I really think the Gophers are going to go out to Michigan State and have a good game and uh, give the Spartans a run for their money. 
I see the Gophers coming out with a win. I think they can they can do this and kind of pile on Michigan State a little bit. Um, so unusual here that I'm picking both Minnesota football teams to win this weekend. That could be the kiss of death for both of them. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see, and, and hopefully we'll come back next week and talk about the 4-0 Minnesota Golden Gophers. And that's the state of Minnesota sports. And now it's time for this week in Minnesota sports history. In 1970, on September 21st, Vita Blue threw a no-hitter against the Twins in his rookie year with the Oakland A's in a 6-0 victory. Harmon Killebrew walked in the fourth inning. He was the only base runner on the day for the Twins. On September 21st, in 1997, Brad Radke threw a 10-inning complete game for the win when Paul Molitor drove in the winning run to beat Milwaukee 2-1. Think about that, 10-inning complete game. Of course, Jack Morris did that in the 91 World Series, but you would never hear of that today. It was Radke's 20th win of the year in a season where the Twins only won 68 games. On September 21st in 2010, the Twins beat Cleveland 6-4 at Target Field and became the first team to clinch a playoff spot that year. It was also Ron Gardenhire's 800th career win as manager, and the 3 millionth fan attended the game that year, the first year of Target Field. On September 22nd in 1968, Cesar Tovar played all nine positions for the Twins, including pitching a hitless inning in a 2-1 win over Oakland at home. On September 22, 1969, the Twins clinched the Western Division with a 4-3 win over Kansas City. And the following year, 1970, same date, September 22, they again clinched the Western Division with a 5-3 win over Oakland. Of course, that's back in the day where it was the Eastern Division, the Western Division, um, and that lasted through the Twins' two World Series appearances as well until they started adding wild cards in the Central Division and all that. Of course, both those years, the Twins would go on to lose to the Baltimore Orioles in the American League Championship Series. In 1977, on September 22nd, Burt Blylevin, not a twin, but of course we love him here in Minnesota, he threw a no-hitter for the Rangers in a 9-0 win over California. In 1987, on September 22nd, the NFL players went on strike for 24 days and if you were around to remember, they had the scab players come in. Uh, the Vikings were rotating quarterbacks every other play. It was just ugly to watch. On September 23rd in 1990, Gary Gaetti hit his 200th career home run off Charlie Huff. The same pitcher, if you remember last week in this sec segment, um, that he hit his first off of. That was a 6-4 win for the Twins that day over Texas. In 2003, on September 23rd, the Twins clinched the Central Division with a 4-1 win over Cleveland. On September 24th, in 2001, my daughter Jana was born. Happy birthday. On September 25th, in 1985, the Twins beat Texas 6-1 for their 2,000th team victory in their history. In 2018, on September 25th, Joe Maurer broke Harmon Killebrew's team record for number of times reaching base in a career, 3,073. Not surprisingly, for Maurer fans, it was an opposite field single in a Twins 4-2 loss to Detroit. In 2021, on September 25th, the Twins inducted Justin Morneau into their team Hall of Fame. And it was fitting that they were playing the Toronto Blue Jays, even though they lost 6-1, since Morneau is from Canada. 
On September 26th, in 1965, the Twins won the American League pennant with a 2-1 win over Washington. Of course, if you're going back there in 1965, uh, you had to win the American League to go to the World Series. There was only the World Series, no other rounds. In 69 is when they started with the Eastern and Western Divisions, adding that round to the playoffs. In September, On September 27th, in 1998, Paul Molitor played in his final game of his Hall of Fame career and went 2-4 for four in a Twins win over Cleveland 6-2. Molitor finished with 3,319 hits in his career. And on September 27th in 2020, despite losing to the Reds 5-2, the Twins won the Central Division because of a White Sox loss. Remember, that was a shortened COVID season that the Twins won. For my local listeners in the Richland, Heartland, Ellendale, Geneva area, Upcoming events on September 22nd, volleyball is home against Bethlehem Academy. The football game that was scheduled for September 23rd has been pushed back to September 24th at 7 o'clock. That's a home game against St. Clair Loyola. Lack of officials. We had to do it last year. Have to do it again this year. Folks, we need officials, and I can speak as an official of lower levels. It's it's a fantastic job. Um, You get some decent pay for doing that, and we really need this. Um, It's really impacting all sports. And if you ever are interested in that, certainly you can contact the Waffle Flipper here or your local athletic director at schools. They'll be happy to help you um, train in and, and start at lower levels, but we need those officials. Also, September 24th, the volleyball team is in a tournament at United South Central. Uh, again, all home games, we stream them on the NFHS network. Uh, volleyball games, you can hear me doing play-by-play. Football games, you'll hear me in the background I'm announcing at the game as well. Well, that's going to do it for another helping of waffles here at 365sportscast.com. I'm glad you decided to tune in. I hope you'll join us each and every Wednesday, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. If you can't catch the original broadcast, each week's episode replays every evening at that same time on 365sportscast.com. Shows also archived to YouTube and Spotify. And remember, if you think you might fit in my segment, For upcoming Vikings opponents, if you have some other thoughts or some other interests that you want to let me know about, email me, waffleflipper22 at gmail.com, or message me on Twitter at MrD1973. Next week, we'll be back with more Minnesota sports. Will the Twins be on to their last gasp? Will the Vikings and Gophers continue on their trend? We'll take a look at future opponents. Wyatt will join me once again for some wisdom with Wyatt. Come on back. Join us. I'll have another special guest as well to delve into all that and more. Thanks again for joining me. This is Mark Domeyer signing off with Syrup.